It's a pleasure and a privilege to have uh, baptised Eden today. Thank you uh, to Eden's friends and family. Thank you all for being here. It's lovely to have you here. Um, but what are Shannon and Stephen letting Eden in for? What does growing up as a Christian involve? Um, You'll have heard it before. Some people say that Christianity is just a, a psychological crutch. It's a made-up religion that brings some people comfort in difficult times. Now, others think it's kind of just like a hobby. Uh, it's a hobby of going to church on Sunday. But for the last eight weeks, we've been going through the opening chapters of the book of Acts in the Bible. And this is actually the final sermon uh, in that series. And these chapters have given us a much clearer picture of what being a Christian involves. Uh, they're like a blueprint. They show us what Christianity originally looked like because it's the story of the first Christians. It's the story of the first church gathered together by the Holy Spirit and directed by the apostles who were handpicked by Jesus himself. So it's a good place to go and see what being a Christian really involves, to see what Eden's being let in for. And the reading we've just heard shows us three things. It shows us how the world relates to Christians. It shows us how Christians relate to God and how Christians relate to the world. And in the next about 15 minutes, as we think about those three things, we'll discover that Christians are opposed by the world out there, but that they trust God and keep on speaking to the world about Jesus. So we'll look at those three things in turn, beginning first of all with how the rest of the world relates to Christians. This is where we see that Christians are opposed. Now, here in the UK for a long time, Christians have had the luxury of being part of the culture uh, because we created the culture. And so we are for the time being tolerated. Um, but that's not really normal. If you have a look with me at verse 23, the first verse uh, that Doug read for us on page 1096, the sentence beginning with the little number 23, uh, where, just under where it says the believer's prayer. It says this, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Um, this is picking up from where we left off last week, if you were here, when we saw that the apostles Peter and John uh, were arrested and put on trial by the authorities in Jerusalem for preaching about Jesus. And our passage today begins just after they've been released. But they weren't surprised about being arrested, right? Because the Bible said that it would be like this. Jesus said it would be like this, and the Bible said it would be like this. Have a look at verse 25, right at the bottom of that left-hand column. It says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed, his anointed one. And that is a quotation from Psalm 2 in the Old Testament. And that Psalm tells how God will anoint a king to rule over the world but that he will be opposed by nations, kings, and rulers. And the king God chose was Jesus, who was anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism 
and went on to be established by God as Lord with complete authority over the whole earth when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. And what happened to Jesus? Well, there it is in verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Because God has given supreme authority over every government and institution and society and individual on earth, he's seen as a threat. His status and teaching conflicts with the status and way of living people choose for themselves. So they oppose Jesus. And of course that means opposing anyone who sides with Jesus and serves him and claims that he has authority over everyone else. The idea that Jesus is in charge and we serve him is a dangerous idea. Let me give you an example. I mentioned last week that Christians in China uh, face huge amounts of persecution. Um, there's a pastor in China called Wang Yi. Over a period of 10 years, he was uh, interrogated by the Chinese authorities 20 times. Then in 2018, he was arrested along with his wife and 100 other people in his congregation, including some of the children. He was kept in prison in an undisclosed location. And the following year, he was sentenced to nine years in prison and the government confiscated all his assets, emptied his bank account. Whether he gets out after nine years, that's a whole other question. What he was accused of, though, is incitement to subvert state power. Incitement to subvert state power. That is, he preaches that the supreme authority is not the Communist Party, but Jesus Christ. So he's in prison. You can read his story online. And there are similar stories all over the world. Christians are by far the most persecuted people on earth. There's something called the World Watch List. The 2023 World Watch List report on anti-Christian oppression states that more than 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination. Now, thank God the government doesn't act like that in this country. But some people nevertheless face seriously tough opposition. I remember a young uh, woman who told me her family are openly hostile to her faith. And, you know, they bristle and get annoyed even at the mention of her going to church. She said they simply cannot hold a civilized conversation with her about her faith. And instead, they mock her for it. This is normal. This is how the rest of the world often relates to Christians. This is what we need to be preparing our children or grandchildren for. This is the environment Christian parents need to equip their children to grow up in. Jesus is opposed and therefore his followers, if they really follow him, they'll be opposed as well. Well, that's how the world relates to Christians. Now let's think about how Christians relate to God. And what we see in Acts is a response of fervent prayer based on empowering truths about who God is. Verse 24 says, When the believers heard what had happened, Peter and John, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, and their prayers are fueled by one great empowering belief 
that God is in charge of everything. It's often referred to as God's sovereignty. Have a look with me at verse 24. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. God is the maker and owner of everything, including our oppressors. This is his world. And that means he's in charge of what happens in it. That's why even though the world opposes Jesus and his followers, the world can't win. A moment ago, we read that quotation from Psalm 2. If we were to look, uh, look it up and read the whole thing, we'd see exactly this, that Jesus' opponents can't win because God is in heaven and he is in control. I'll quote it for you. Um, the psalm goes on to say, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at his opponents. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. In other words, the world can try to oppose Jesus, but God just laughs it off. He's made Jesus king, and there is nothing they can do about it. He made the world. He holds their life like sand in the palm of his hand. God is on Jesus' side. No one can defeat him. And it's true they crucified him, but as it says in verse 28 on page 1096, they did only what God's power and will had decided beforehand should happen. I'll say that again. They did only what God's power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Nothing happens except what God decides. Things can't get out of his control, and he has a reason for everything. That means Christians can trust him. His power and control is almighty. Whatever happens to us, we have nothing to fear because our good and loving Father is in total control at every moment. Let me take you back to uh, the case of Pastor Wang Yi in China. When he was arrested, he sent out a letter to his congregation. He'd actually pre-written it. He knew he wouldn't be able to release it from his prison cell. So he'd pre-written it and left it with somebody so that if he got arrested, they could publish it. And this is what he said in part of his letter. If God decides to use the persecution of this communist regime against the church to help more Chinese people to despair of their futures, to lead them through a wilderness of spiritual disillusionment, and through this to make them know Jesus, if through this he continues discipling and building up his church, through all this persecution, then I am joyfully willing to submit to God's plans, for his plans are always benevolent and good. Do you see the importance of this belief in God's sovereign power and control? If you know that everything is under his control, including the Chinese government, you will not live in fear. Instead, you will trust God and boldly persevere. Which is why when those first Christians heard what had happened to Peter and John and prayed together, they didn't ask God for an end to the opposition. They didn't ask God that they would be kept safe. Have a look with me at verse 29. This is what they prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats 
and enable your servants to speak your word with boldness, stretch out your hand to heal, and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They simply asked that, they would, that God would give them boldness to speak all the more about Jesus and back it up with demonstrations of his power. How do Christians relate to God? With complete trust, because of our empowering confidence in his almighty supremacy and control over all that he has made. Complete trust expressed as we gather together to pray fervently for the empowering boldness to be who God has called us to be in this, his world. So how the rest of the world relates to Christians? Christians are opposed. How Christians relate to God with fervent prayer based on empowering truths about God's power and control. And finally, how do Christians relate to the world? They boldly speak about Jesus. Have a look with me again at their prayer uh, in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They want to speak boldly to the world that opposes them about the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Why is that? Well, we saw the reason last week in verse 12. Verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven, no other name in all the world given to men by which we must be saved. There is only one Saviour. If you get on a plane and travel anywhere in the world, wherever you end up, there is only one Saviour. Many religions, many philosophies, many beliefs, one saviour. It's Jesus. And so they want to preach about him even to their enemies so that they can be saved. See, if you had to compare Jesus, his church, to a boat, what boat would it be? Some people think of the church as like a cruise ship. We're the passengers. We climb aboard in search of an easy ride and a comfortable life. Someone's in charge of it, but most of us are just in the pool or by the bar. But church is not a cruise ship, it's a lifeboat. The early Christians were like the crew of a lifeboat braving the waves and the storms of opposition to find and save drowning people. Boldly going about telling people about Jesus and helping them aboard the lifeboat. When you become a Christian, you join a lifeboat crew. Now of course in the face of opposition, it's very tempting and far easier to just keep the truth to yourself to keep the lifeboat in the boat shed and let the world drown. We might tell ourselves Jesus is important to us personally, but not necessarily relevant to anyone else. We might not spare a thought for the people of Queen's Park or Ballyhenry or Hyde Park, but that's not the way church is meant to be. And so knowing that God is in complete control and that the message about Jesus is the way to get people out of the water and into the lifeboat, Let's pray that we have boldness to speak about Jesus. Why not pray that this summer you'd get the chance to speak about Jesus to someone who doesn't know him? If you pray, it might happen. 
If the book of Acts teaches us anything, it's that God has poured out his spirit upon his church to empower us to tell people that we all need to be put right with God. We all need to have our sins forgiven. And that Jesus came and died on the cross to pay for our sins so that anyone, absolutely anyone, who turns to him for forgiveness will be forgiven and given a new life because God raised Jesus from the dead so that he is alive and able to do this for us. Yes, we'll face opposition from the rest of the world when we do this. You know what it's like, you're afraid you might tell someone about Jesus and get into an argument or be made to feel uncomfortable or not know what to say or just rejected or ignored. But we have a God who's totally in control and utterly dependable. We've been dragged out of the sea onto the lifeboat. Now it's our turn to pull out others. At the start, I asked uh, what Stephen and Shannon are letting Eden in for. This is what you're letting her in for. This is what every believer here has let themselves in for. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that through Jesus we have been saved and filled with your spirit, brought into your church and equipped to tell the world about our saviour, the only one who can save. And so like the early church did, we pray together for boldness, boldness in the face of our own fears, in the face of any opposition, to speak winsomely, gently and kindly about the Lord Jesus, our saviour. Even if we face opposition, we don't pray that it would end, only that you would make us brave so that we can continue to speak about him. We know we have brothers and sisters around the world who've paid far greater prices than we will to do this. They've set us a good example. We pray that you would help us to follow in their footsteps. We ask all this in the powerful name of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.